Guys, do this. Turn to uh, the book of Genesis. Actually, turn to Romans first. Turn to Romans chapter 8, and we'll get into the details of it. We're in a series called The Holy Spirit. And here at High Point Church, uh, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, also known as the Trinity. Uh, we are a, a church that believes that Jesus Christ uh, has the power, and he's the only one who has the power to ultimately change your life. He's the only one who truly has the power to change the world that we live in, the communities that we live in. When we look at injustice, and we look at poverty, when we look at, at, at all the things that everything in our soul says, this is not right, something needs to be done about it, ultimately, we look at this at our church and we say that Jesus is the answer. We need more of we need more Christ followers who are willing to risk it all to truly follow him. We believe that Jesus is the son of God that he lived the life that you and I should have lived. We believe that Jesus Christ died the death that you and I should have died. And that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave, proving to the world for all time that he is, in fact, the son of the living God, and that he is the one who has all power, specifically power over sin and death. We believe all that. And my invitation for you this morning, even as we get out of the gate, is <laughs> to believe that too. Faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior will change you forever. There's nothing like knowing Christ Jesus. There's nothing like it. The Bible says in Romans 8, this is Paul. We've been reading a lot of Paul, who's one of the greatest apostles to have walked the earth. Verse 11, he says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives inside of you. Now this message, I want to be very clear on who I'm speaking to this morning. I am speaking to Christians today. Now a lot of times we kind of go with the double barrel approach where I'm trying to speak to two audiences. I'm speaking to one today. Now, those of you, if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I'm not saying you can't take anything from the message today. Oh, you certainly can. I invite you to. Be encouraged by it. Wrestle with it. Talk through it. Think about it. Maybe even offer a prayer about it. But this message today, specifically where we are in the time that we are living in, is for Christians this morning. Those who have professed belief in Jesus Christ, the one who we profess to be able to change everything, the one who we profess to have the power over sin and death. And this is the message this morning where, where, where we, we profess this truth and yet we forget the reality that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is also the very same power that lives inside of you if you profess to be a Christian. 
If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the same power that raised him out of the grave, the tomb, that stone rolled away and Jesus stepped out in all of his glory. That is the same power that you and I have by virtue of the Holy Spirit. We forget that, don't we? We forget what that looks like, what that means, what are the implications of such a statement. Because if you're like me, and maybe you've grown up around Christianity or around faith and around church, it's really easy to forget that the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. And that is an unbelievably profound truth. We cannot forget it. So here's my question for you this morning. Are you living a powerful life? What a question to ask, isn't it? If the Holy Spirit that is full of power, God's power, his very essence, who he is, the fullness of God is living inside of you, does your life look like it? Are you living a power-filled life? And if you're not, why aren't you? And maybe you're like me and you grew up thinking that these powerful moments with God were kind of contained to the Bible, right? It was contained to the Old Testament or it was contained to the New Testament. And after the apostles died, this just went with it. Well, I've got great news for you today. It isn't true. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. And that means the same power that raised him from the dead is at work inside of your life. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 2. We're just going to walk through quickly some encounters with the spirit of God this morning. I'm going to just rip through it. You can read through it more in your own time. But understand that in Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse of the Bible... It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Meaning that when God created the heavens and the earth, he did not do it by himself. He did it and the the Trinity was fully intact. And the very Spirit of God is at work in helping to create the heavens and the earth. We see power being unleashed in the very first verse through God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, and through the Spirit of God. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel's a prophet and he's anointing David as king. He says that he took... Uh, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. How did it come? It came with power. Exodus chapter 31, verse 2 through 5. Look at how the Spirit is at work in the second book of the Bible Moses writes, see, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, 
And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. The Spirit of God filled these men with power to do what? To create. It's powerful. It's incredible. Judges chapter 14, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Beautiful image. Now, we could spend all morning talking about the Spirit of God moving thousands of years ago in the Scriptures. And the the, the greatest association that we see with the Spirit of God moving is that it comes with power. There's a release of power in these people's lives. And the Spirit of God didn't yet live inside of anyone. The Spirit of God would minister from the outside in. And then this amazing thing happened when Jesus came. The heavens opened up and God the Father spoke. Said, this is my Son whom I am well pleased in. The Spirit of God whisked him into the desert. Ushered him into this time of testing. He's filled with grace and power. And then Jesus, for three years, ministers, he teaches, he preaches, and he dies for the sins of the world, and he rises again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. He meets, he meets and visits with his disciples, and then he returns to heaven once and for all. But before he does, he looks at all of those disciples, and he says, I'm going to be sending someone to help you. But this is going to be different than the way people interacted with the Holy Spirit in the days of old. Because they, they interacted where God, the Spirit of God, would come upon them. Now you are going to interact with the Spirit where God's very presence and power is going to begin to live inside of you. It will never leave you. It will never forsake you. God's very presence is going to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And it's going to change you and transform you. And it will make you into someone you were not before. Acts chapter 1-8. Jesus is quoted as, as saying that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, if you have yielded to him as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit at work inside of you, my question for you remains, are you living a powerful life? You're living a life full. God's power. Share the story with you, and I, I tried to paraphrase it, but 
It just didn't do it justice. So I'm going to read a story that is nearly word for word for you today, something I rarely do. But it was too good for me to just blow through in a paraphrased moment. And the reason I want to take the time for you to see this at work is is that we're living in an age where we are desperately in need of men and women who will live by the power of the Holy Spirit. They'll walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Or we'll walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When I'm talking about power, I'm talking about all the power. Where we would walk in faith and in belief that God does the impossible. You need prayer for something? Let me pray for that. Because I believe that when I lay hands on this situation or I I go to the Father uh, on behalf of you in this situation, that God's going to move. And I'm going to pray because I believe that the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. I'm going to pray. But I grew up in an environment where it's not that we didn't believe that God could move. We just, we just never really expected him to. And so we were used to experiencing church and we were used to having moments of worship. And the worship was wonderful and it was beautiful and the teaching was incredible and it was fantastic and it helped lay the foundation of who I am as a Christian. But where the thing stopped short was then taking this power that God had indwelled inside of us and doing anything with it. Never went anywhere. And there's, a, there's an idea of theology called cessationism where the way that God moved in the Bible, when the Bible was finished being written and the lives of the apostles came to an end and they died, that that power of God was no longer for today. And that's how I lived the majority of my life. In fact, I've still lived more of my life under that thinking than under the idea that God still moves powerfully while I don't have a a paper Bible on hand uh, with me at this moment I want you to understand this that that is not something that you would ever come to on your own your own thinking if you took a Bible and you handed it to someone that was new to faith and you had them read it from cover to cover they do not and would not come out of that room thinking somehow that God doesn't still move that way. We're never taught it. There's never a moment where that's, where that's being embraced. There's never a moment where people are having that conversation, where people are praying, and there's the comma, but, you know, God doesn't really do that anymore. So let's just kind of keep asking but not be an expectation. Spiritual gifts, well, I don't really, they make me uncomfortable and I don't get it, so, but I don't, I don't, I haven't experienced it, so therefore it, it cannot be true. And so rather than building a theology on the scriptures and what we actually read and see, we build theology on what we have experienced or in our uh, layman's terms, our lack of experience. Because I haven't experienced it, therefore it's not for today. isn't true any more than asking for God to heal someone today would we say that 
God can't and doesn't still heal? Of course not. He still moves in miraculous, law-defying ways all the time. The real question is, will you have faith to engage with God and believe for him to continue doing it in your own life? Are you living a life full of God's power? There was a church in New York City, 1857. They weren't growing very much. They were struggling a little bit. Culture had been moving away from from, uh, being so devoted to church, and the gold rush is taking place, and there's this tremendous fixation on wealth and money right now. And so this church gets together, and uh, it's an old Dutch church in New York City. And they bring somebody on staff. (laughs) He's not a pastor. He has no experience. He's a businessman. 49 years old. His name is Jeremiah Lanfear, a merchant who had no experience whatsoever in church visitation work, and that's what they hired him to do. He's somebody who goes around visiting people. Praying for them, talking to them about God. At 49, he gave up his trade position to knock on doors for a salary of less than $1,000 a year. While going his rounds of visitation, the idea occurred to him that businessmen might like to get away for a short period of prayer once a week while offices were closed at noon. With permission of church officials, Lanthier passed out hand bills and put up the placard, prayer, 12 o'clock. When the day of the first meeting came, he was the only one on hand for it. He waited 10 minutes, then 10 more. The minute hand of his watch pointed to 12.30. When at last, he heard a step on the stairs. One man came in, then another and another, until there were six. After a few minutes of prayer, the meeting was dismissed with the decision that another meeting would be held the following Wednesday. This all took place at 12 noon in New York City on September 23rd, 1857. And the reason we have this document is because what's about to happen is going to make front page of the newspaper. It won't just make the headlines of New York City. It's going to make the headlines of every major city in the United States. But because we are a people that forget history, we do not know what God has done even in our own country. I want to say that one more time. I grew up in a world and an environment where church history was detached. The Bible came to an end, and after that, I had no knowledge of how God moved historically in any city, in any early church, much less my own country. I didn't know, and even if I had heard, I forgot. And so here we are, Once again, here I am talking to you about the power of God's Spirit, and you can literally go to your local library and read about instances of God moving by reading the newspapers from the 1800s. Six people show up for a prayer meeting, and they decide, well, I guess we'll we'll have one next week, too. Twenty men came to his second noon hour meeting. Following Wednesday, 40. Lanphier decided to make the meeting a daily event in a larger room 
So they went from meeting together for prayer for one hour a week on Wednesdays at 12 to now needing to pray every single day. You know what? Let's just risk it for the biscuit here. We're going to open it up every day and we're going to pray and just let's just let's just go for it. Risk it for the biscuit. I know you liked that. They decided to make the meeting a daily event in a larger room, and in a short time, the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting, which is the name that it had received, had taken over the whole building with crowds of more than 3,000 coming to pray every single day. Lawyers and physicians, merchants and clerks, bankers and brokers, manufacturers and mechanics, porters and messenger boys all came. Laborers would drive up to the curb, tie up their horses, and come in for just a few minutes because it's all they had. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen out of a population of 800,000 were gathering in New York City for prayer. In January of 1858, there were at least 20 other prayer meetings going full tilt in the city. By January of 1858, newspapers were sending reporters to cover the meetings. One time a man wandered into the street and meeting, the Fulton Street meeting, who intended to murder a woman and then commit suicide. And as he listened to the prayers and someone delivering an exhortation and urging the duty of repentance, suddenly the would-be murderer started, startled everyone by crying out, what, should I need, what do I need to do to be saved? And at the end of the meeting, puts his faith in Jesus, goes to his local prison, where he shares his faith with a prize fighter named Awful, Awful Gardner. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know. Was also a prayer meeting convert. And they, together, they visit old friends at Sing Sing Penitentiary. And they gave their testimony. Among those who were converted was a noted river thief, Jerry McCauley, who later founded the Water Street Mission. One of the first missions for down and outs. And on March 17th, Burton's Theater on Chambers Street was thrown open for noonday prayer. Half an hour before the first service was to even begin, the theater was packed from pit to the roof. One of the original six at the first Fulton Street meeting was 21 years old from Philadelphia. And he said, why not a prayer meeting in my city? Why not God's power in Philadelphia? One by one, cities like Cleveland, Cincinnati, Detroit, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, Omaha, and all the way to the Pacific Coast began hosting moments of prayer in the middle of the week. The Philadelphia meeting was a dismal start. The newspaper reports. Only about 40 came. Only 40. The meeting was moved to another building, more centrally located. Still, the crowd stayed around 60. Suddenly, there was a change. On March 8, 1858, 300 people were present. And on the following Wednesday, on March 10, 2,500 people jammed into a larger auditorium. Seats were set up on the very stage where people were praying. 
After that, not less than 3,000 people attended the meeting every single day. In May, a tent was put up. Within four months, 150,000 people had prayed inside the tent. By 1858, in roughly six months, it's estimated that there were 10,000 conversions in the city of Philadelphia. Here are the newspaper headlines that you can go to your local library and read for yourself in major newspapers. City's biggest church packed twice daily for prayer. Businesses shut down for an hour each day. Everyone prays. In Albany, New York, state legislators get down on their knees. Ice on the Mohawk broken for baptisms. Firemen's prayer meeting attracts 2,000. Five prayer meetings are going round the clock. Revival sweeps Yale. I read of these encounters and these stories. My desire to be very transparent isn't to just repeat this or try to have the same thing. No, 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 no. Far from it. But I'm gripped with the reality that we serve a God of great power. And he uses everyday people like Jeremiah, like Andy King, like you. Everyday guys who will simply believe that God is who he says he is, and that when we pray and when we seek him, there is something that lives inside of us that is filled with God's power. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of me. Far be it from me not to get on my knees and pray and seek God and to lay hands on the sick or trust him or believe for a word of knowledge or believe for God to do the impossible in someone's life. What can God not do? What can he not do? So when we see the word power used in the scriptures, in the Greek in particular, as associated with the, the Holy Spirit, it's a word called dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamic, and it's also where we get the word dynamite. And so when we speak of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power, the association, once again, is, is that of something that's explosive. Something that's mighty, something that's significant. Jesus says it uh, himself when he's speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. He says, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. You have this mental idea of what it looks like to, to walk in his presence, but you don't really get the power of God working in your life. You don't get it. And because you don't get it, you're walking in error.
God's power is available to you, church. It's not for the special. It's not for people who handle a microphone. It's not for just pastors or priests. It's not. It's for you. It's for you. It's for every single person who would call on the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives you power, but why? To be a witness for God and to exalt the name of Jesus. God fills you with power that we might bring honor to him and glory to him. When we see the Holy Spirit at work in the scriptures, it's not just, it's not so that anybody can toot their own horn. It's because God deserves all the praise and all the honor and all the worth and all the worship. And when people see moments where there is no denying that God is real, it causes them to be humbled and to lift up eyes to God Almighty, to confess their sin, to repent. By the way, this story goes on and on and on. I can, I can, anybody who wants it can read the, the pages of it. I was literally boring my family at dinner last night, reading it. I was just blown away. Amy, my wife Amy wasn't bored. My children might have been. For many of us, if you grew up in the Bible Belt or you grew up around here, there's a context for this that can be hard for us to undo. And the reality is when it comes to the power of the Spirit, there's been a great, there's been a great abuse of what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit. Just recently in the news, in South Africa, if anybody has seen it, somebody created a false miracle of someone being raised from the dead and getting out of a coffin. And the whole thing has been exposed as a hoax. And so because there's counterfeit and because there's been abuse, oftentimes we, our, our, the pendulum swings the other way. And because excuse, abuse has been real, we now move to disuse. But abuse shouldn't produce disuse. And people who walk poorly by the Spirit should have no bearing on you living powerfully by the Spirit. And I have bad news for you this morning. There will always be people who try to abuse, who try to take advantage, and don't know what it really looks like to walk with the Spirit of God. But if you let that be the determinant of whether you're going to walk in power, you're going to find yourself frustrated your entire life reading about a God who works powerfully in the Scriptures but isn't working powerfully in your own life. God wants to give you power that you would exalt the name of Jesus. Acts 1.8 says, You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Peter says it well. Acts 2.38, when the Spirit of God first moves in people's lives in this manner, 
It says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we need to do this morning, church? To walk in the power of the Spirit. Number one, you've got to believe that God actually wants you to walk in the power of the Spirit. First and foremost, you have to desire that God would, would move through you powerfully. That when you pray, that God is moving. That when you ask, God is moving. That when you are, 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 are in faith for a neighbor, that God is moving. When there's something impossible and you're asking God to do something about it, and Jesus said to speak to those mountains and they'll be moved, that when you actually do, something will happen. We have to have faith that God wants to move in our lives and through our lives, and that doesn't matter if you're 10 years old, 24 years old, or 94 years old. God wants to move in your life and through your life, through the power of the Spirit. I want it. Every year at Christmas, we put together the Christmas list. Kids put together all the things that, you know, they put together their Christmas list, right? Things they'd love to receive. Some of it they do, some of it they don't. There's always one larger present. Any parent knows that you get excited to give your child the big gift, right? But any parent also knows what it's like to give your child that big gift and they're not nearly as excited about it as you thought they were going to be. That happened literally this past year at my house. I got that Amazon Prime deal on this big dog Lego set. Oh, yeah, baby. And the wrapping paper comes off of it. Yay! So excited. And then it didn't get opened later that day and didn't get opened the next day or three days later or a week or even months later and I just watched it sitting on the shelf and it angered me but I was reminded even putting this message together if if the Holy Spirit that fills with us with power it's called a gift. Peter says it's the gift of the Spirit for us. Jesus says it's better for you that I go because I'm going to send you my helper. I'm going to send you the Spirit. Trust me, as sorry as you are that I'm leaving, it's better for you. You don't even know what you are getting ready to experience when we think about heaven, we think about 
We think about sitting down and talking to Abraham or talking to Paul or Peter. What was it like to walk on water? What was it, what was it like for God to lead you, Abraham, the father of faith? Moses, to raise your staff and to part the Red Sea. What was it like? And we think somehow that we'll be running to them. But we have it all wrong. Because they were looking for the promise, the promise of the Spirit that they did not get to taste. And when you walk through those pearly gates, understand something, there is going to be a crowd of people waiting to not only celebrate with you, but what was it like? Imagine Moses coming to you and saying, what was it like to not have to have God's power come upon you from the outside in, but to be able to live with it day in and day out, God's very presence living inside of you. What was it like? Tell me. Dying to know. What was it like for you to have God's dunamis power working in your life? I can't imagine. Don't reject it. Don't leave the spirit on the shelf as the Christmas present, the gift that you just never really open and use. This power is available to you, and it's available to you today to exalt his name, to lift up the name of Jesus, to testify of his greatness. Ministry team, would you come down front at this time? I have some people that are ready to pray. And here's how we're going to end today. I'm going to pray for us. And then if you need prayer for any single thing, we are ready to pray and in faith for God to move powerfully in your life. If there's anything you need at all, we're asking that you would have the courage to come and that we would pray together. Like the Fulton Street Revival moment, right? Where people are just willing to pray. They just would write their little prayer requests on a piece of paper and people would pray for them and moment after moment after moment, miracles began to happen. How does it happen? Because people are expecting God to move and they believe that he's a God of power. So this morning, if you need prayer for a relationship, don't be shy. If you need prayer over something to be healed, don't be a stranger. If you need God to move in your life, if you're in despair or if you're in pain or if you're in panic of any kind, why not pray? Why not ask the God of heaven and earth to move on our behalf today? Father, thank you. We love you and worship you this morning. We lift up the name of Jesus, Lord, and even as we are in faith today, we know, God, that your move, the move of the Spirit in our lives, God, it testifies to the goodness of the God that we serve. And we lift up the name of Jesus this morning. The name that is victorious over sin and death. The name who has the capacity to truly change. There's no name like Jesus' name. There's no, there's no one who has the ability to move like you move. What can you not overcome, God? And this morning we come to you in faith. Believing that you are a God that fills us with power. God, move on our behalf today. 
Amen.